Hi. Um, like she said, I'm Marcia Ranahan, and um, I'm going to share with you for a few minutes a little bit about my story and my struggle, actually, um, with alcohol. John asked me um, to do this, and he preached last week on that question that Jesus asked, do you want to be well? And I've been thinking about what that question would have meant to me at different times in my life. Um, I think at times I would have felt just like it was a rhetorical question, sort of like a, I didn't really need to answer it. But other times I think I would have felt sort of like it was an accusation or a rebuke, like, do you even want to be well? Um, and at times I definitely would have felt it as a threat because I knew that the thing that he was saying, do you want me to take away, is the thing that I wasn't willing to let go of. So um, in my journey of being able to get to the point where I would say, yes, I want to be well, I had to hear that question as an invitation and something that was full of love and compassion. I didn't start drinking alcohol until I was in my early 20s. Uh, my husband, Bill, and I got married when we were just 21, so we were babies. And I was still learning what it was to make my own decisions and to, you know, adult. And... Um, I was kind of attempting to break away from a church background that I felt had been um, legalistic in some ways, particularly in regard to things like alcohol and, you know. Um, I just was enjoying my freedom to say, I think a little bit sometimes is okay. And this is not at all to debate the morality of drinking alcohol. That's something everyone figures out for themselves. But this is just to give you a framework to understand my story. Um, I've always been a person with big feelings, and I kind of tend to run anxious. Um, and I am blessed and cursed with kind of a deep sensitivity that's like my superpower, but also like my kryptonite. And I didn't have skills at the time to cope with the way that I experienced the world. So uh, alcohol being introduced into my life, a little here, a little there, I quickly realized that I can use this to alter my mood at any time. And so it became a fixture in my life. Um, back then... Before I even, I think before anybody would have said that I had a problem, before it was clear, I would say that the seeds of addiction were planted all the way at the beginning. Um, if I could have checked my motives, if I could have been more aware <clears throat> of why I was turning to this thing, that would have helped. It, the, the seeds of addiction, they grew with little concessions that was nourished that way. I would say, you know, one glass would turn into two, or I would start to drink a little bit before people came over. I would, you know, start to drink something a little stronger, but it was just small little steps. Um, <clears throat> you know, I was drinking most days, then I was drinking every day, then I was drinking earlier in the day. And um, I would never really admit to being drunk, even if I had been drinking a lot. I was just buzzed. So I would say it didn't happen overnight. I don't think any of us start out in excess. There were moments along the way that um, I definitely could have been clued into what was happening. Times when I decided to cut back or go without just because I thought, oh, that'd be a good idea. And then I would always end up changing my mind. Or I would go a day or two without. And then I would use that to prove to myself that I was fine and I didn't have a problem. And I'd kind of hang on to that. So eventually, in all of this, alcohol became what I looked forward to. It's what I wanted when I woke up in the morning, and I would look forward to it all day. It was my balm. It was what I needed. If I was feeling too much, it would help me feel numb. If I was feeling too numb, it would help me to feel something. 
lowered my anxiety, it helped me to laugh more easily and just feel more comfortable in my own skin. It just felt like a friend who was always there to help me get by. Pretty soon, alcohol started to demand more from me than it ever gave me. And that's what addictions do. I didn't need it to just feel good anymore. I needed it to feel normal or just to feel okay. And I thought about quitting all the time. I tried to quit so many times on my own without telling anybody about it. Or I would just tell myself I'm going to cut back or that this is normal. Lots of people drink like this. Or maybe it's not normal, but maybe I just there's something in my brain chemistry and I just need this and it'll be okay. I can, I can be a functional alcoholic and nobody has to really know. I mean, I really was telling myself every story I could to not have to give it up, to not have to get to that place where I was alone in my head again without that buffer, or at least without the being able to look forward to it. And then I got pregnant with my first son. And of course, I quit drinking throughout the pregnancy, and I thought for sure I would not go back to it once I had him. And I almost immediately did. So much of the time I was either in a state of hungover or intoxicated to varying degrees. And I think at some point when I wasn't looking, when I, when I didn't notice, the tables had turned and this thing that had just looked like a great way to take the edge off or to, you know, like a friend that was there for me became my slave master. I wasn't in control of it anymore. It had control of me. <clears throat> and the thing is, I knew how ugly it was then because I wanted to quit so bad and I couldn't. And I still went back to it over and over again. I was in this cycle of self-hatred and abuse and intoxication and regret back into self-hatred and it just went on a loop over and over again. And that's what my life had become. It was like being in an abusive relationship with a psychopath who wanted to kill me. And I was protecting it. One day, I was in a conversation with my pastor at the time, this was back when we lived in Indiana, and he asked me if I thought I was an alcoholic. And I had wrestled with that term for a long time at that point, and um, really had worked my way around it pretty well, saying, you know, that term's not really helpful, I just had all kinds of rationalizations about why I didn't think that was going to apply to me because I knew that if I had ex accepted that word, that it meant I had to change, I had to give it up, I had to do something different. And he let me explain all of that. He just kindly listened to me and then he looked at me and said, well, I think you are. And that moment is just imprinted on my mind and heart because it was for me a, a do you want to be well moment. When I finally stepped into sobriety, shortly after that conversation, I had no imagination for what it would look like for me to go a day without drinking, let alone the rest of my life. I was very scared, and I was very unhappy about having to give it up, and yet I knew that this was the right choice and the right way to step forward. And it was really hard, especially that first year. I don't want to mince words. It's, it's not easy. But there's this quote that I keep coming back to. Nina said it when she preached a while back that, was, that says that God's love will address what's making you sick. He uncovers our secrets in order to free us, not enslave us. He will allow short-term acute pain to bring us into long-term joy and freedom. In those early days of in sobriety and recovery, that 
comprised of being accountable to some trusted people, going to a recovery group, going to therapy. These are all things that I really didn't like. Um, or I should say, I really didn't like the stigma that was attached to these things. And there is a really unfortunate stigma attached to these things. And it's unfortunate because in those things, I found some of the most important friendships of my life. And it took like a hot second for my therapist to become my favorite person in the universe. <laughs> we should all be so lucky. Um, and those are spaces where truth is being spoken and where chains are falling off. That's where I started to see how much God delights in me, which is the only reason I was able to continue walking through recovery, and I actually began to like myself again. When Jesus asks, do you want to be well? It's an invitation. He's asking it in love because he wants you. Nothing else could have motivated me into recovery. I needed him to see me in my mess, and my lies, and my sickness, and say, I want you. And he did, because that's what he does. That's what he excels at. That's who he is. He didn't want to make me into someone else. He wanted to make me well. And the thing is, we have an enemy, and he wants you to. If you're struggling with something that you, you can't extricate yourself from, or you, you want to want to extricate yourself from, you are in an abusive relationship with a psychopath who wants you dead. It won't negotiate with you. And I believe that's the truth, but I also believe that what's equally and infinitely more important is that God is bigger and stronger, completely capable of removing that thing from your life and replacing it with his life and his beauty and his joy and his freedom. He's, he's more good than we know to ask for, and he won't stop pursuing you. I have been sober now. September 21st marked 10 years for me of sobriety and recovery. I say those two separately because they're two separate things. Sobriety is achievable. Recovery is an ongoing process of becoming well that we walk through with Jesus. So I will be in recovery forever, um, as long as I live. And like I said before, it was hard at first, but I did walk through short-term acute pain, and now I am living in long-term freedom and joy. Mm-hmm. <laughs>